Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Business of Freelancing podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about knowing when to fold, knowing when to stop with freelancing and try full-time work. With me today is, as usual, Eric Dietrich. Hey, everybody. And I'm Ruben Lerner. And um, look, we love freelancing. We've been doing it for a while. We think it's a great thing, but it's not for everyone. And it's kind of hard sometimes to know whether it's for you or not. So today we're going to be talking about figuring out whether it's for you, making that decision, and not being embarrassed to say, hey, this is not for me. So Eric, why don't you, why don't you start us off? What, what should people be thinking about when they even like start to contemplate this? I think that one of the most kind of pernicious ideas that gets into people's head, especially if they leave full-time employment to be on their own or to freelance, is this idea of if I do something dramatically different or if I scale back or if I stop freelancing and go take on a job, that this is a failure. It's like you've moved from one lifestyle to another and, and you can't go back without admitting defeat. So I think, first of all, it's important to understand and maybe think of it through the lens of, if you take, uh, if you're working in a job and you decide to take another job for more pay, or you just quit, you don't like the job that you're in, you go get another one. Nobody thinks of that as defeat. So I think it's important to say if you're freelancing and maybe you decide it's not for you, or you want to do something else, or maybe a great opportunity comes along for salaried employment that you weren't looking for. None of that is a defeat. It's just you know you're choosing to do a different thing. So in thinking about quitting, the reason I'm saying all this is I think it's important from the outset to not be asking yourself whether you're succeeding or, or whatever, but more like, is this a fit for what I want to be doing? Is this a fit for my lifestyle right now? And through that lens, <clears throat> I think the best way to start asking yourself whether it's a fit is, I guess, maybe a combination of, um, you know, does this seem like it's working for my personal like lifestyle goals? And does it seem like it's working for my financial goals? Like, is this getting me somewhere is probably where I'd be looking. And then maybe like my misery index. So like, does this seem to make sense or does something feel like it's off? I don't, what do you think? I think it's really important that you've pointed out that there are multiple factors here to consider. Because when you think, like, I was just talking to someone earlier about this earlier today about, like, how do you define success? And I think when I started my business, it was, well, if I can make enough money to live and maybe even live com comfortably, then that's success. But it's way more complicated than that, right? There are plenty of people working miserably in full-time jobs, making lots of money because that's their measurement for success. And similarly, you can do that freelancing as well. But it's totally okay to say, I'm making the strategic decision to earn less money freelancing so I have more time with my family or I have more free time or I go to go you know, on vacation every summer or something like that. So you have to sort of decide what your priorities are, what your goals are, and if freelancing will satisfy, like it's a means to an end, right? So freelancing helps you to achieve those goals, fantastic. But if there's another way to achieve those goals just as well or better, that's okay too. I think I also, like, I've certainly had this mindset for many years. It's taken me a while to sort of undo it of you start working for a company and at some point you go independent and then you become really successful. And for most people, that is just not the case. For most people, they go, they're at a company and they go to another company, they go to another company and that's how they work through retirement or until retirement. And they're happy that way. And when, when I was going on site to teach, 
my students and I would have lunch with my students, they were always fascinated because to them it seemed like magic, weird, strange, alien, that like I wasn't working for a company. So what we're doing is the unusual thing and saying, I'm going to go do the usual thing. That's okay. I had this framework a while back of, I'd kind of said, and then teased this out maybe two years ago in a series of blog posts, the idea of freelancing in some senses being an intermediate state between being employed by someone else and creating a business rather than like gig-based mm. work. And whatever you may think of that. So I could see a world where somebody says, I like being a freelancer. I take like a staff augmentation type gig with a client like once a year, then I move on to another client or something. This like kind of serial monogamy with clients, gig-based freelancing. I think you could do that throughout the course of your career if it made you happy. Part of me would worry about that because in some respects, you're behaving as if you just have a series of employers but you're not getting the benefits associated with full-time work. So like, I guess what I'm getting at is one thing I might do is try when I went off on my own to establish some kind of goal, whether that's a lifestyle goal or like building equity in a business or, you know, earning more money for a few hours worked or whatever to say, you know, what does eventual success look like a good steady state because um, then you can sort of track progress. Am I getting to this goal? So like if you leave your employer and really your only goal is like, well, I want to be a full-time remote, like I don't want to um, have to come into the office or something, you know, maybe that's what you're after and that can be okay with gig-based freelancing. But if you're saying something like, well, yeah, I want to work remote. I want to have autonomy. I want to work fewer hours or whatever the case may be. And all you get is promote or something, it can be easy to lose sight of those goals, make no real progress toward anything, and then get into kind of a quagmire. I guess if I were going to kind of come back and summarize some of what I'm saying there, like if, you, if you're working for someone else, usually they'll put you on some kind of career plan. There's you know stuff going on and they'll set goals or nudge you into setting some kind of goals, even if they're a little bit formulaic or whatever. But if you go off on your own, it's all too easy to just kind of do stuff and not have anything that you're measuring yourself by. And I don't even mean from like an achievement perspective per se, but like your own happiness or something, like what are you trying to do and are you getting there? So I do think there's an importance to deciding what you're trying to do and like revisiting those goals periodically. Right, and, and sometimes it's easier to achieve, maybe it's easier to achieve those goals, including your career goals at a large company or even small company. Right. Like, I mean, again, I sort of personally can't imagine now going back to working for someone else, but I have that privilege. Right. Like I've managed to get my my company, you know, my, my work to a point where I don't have to do that. But there were definitely several times along the way where I thought, huh, this isn't working out so well. Maybe I should do that. And, and I often when I started freelancing, I, I said, like, I had that safety net, right, especially in the high tech world. It's okay to try consulting, freelancing. If it works out, great. And if not, you know what? Lots of other people have done it too. And you can, all, you know, as we like to say, you can always go get a real job. Companies are definitely interested <laughs> in your talent. Yeah, it's interesting. It's probably worth calling out, especially from where we're sitting. There are some 
pretty serious benefits to salaried work. So every now and then, I mean, not so much anymore as, as the business I own kind of grows, but um, over the last eight years or whatever, there are times where I wake up in the morning and think to myself, like, I have no idea why I'm doing this. <laughs> I'm just going to go get a job somewhere and not have to worry. Like usually that's in direct proportion to how much I'm dealing with the IRS or you know, so the, there are things that come up like payroll or something where I'm like, most people don't have to deal with this. So I guess in all seriousness, there are real advantages to having a job. You know, for instance, um, you don't have to worry about all the different elements of a business cycle. You're not doing your own sales, most likely. I mean, unless your job is sales, you don't have to worry about your marketing. You don't have to worry about <clears throat> business functions that maybe you're just tolerating as a freelancer, but that don't interest you. The technician mindset, a lot of new freelancers have that where it's like, I just want to do the thing that I'm good at. And then I put up with like sales and marketing and finance so that I can do that. Well, if you go back to that job, you don't have to put up with that stuff. You can just come into work each day and write code. And, you know, I think so, I guess more tangibly, some of the benefits that that occur to me aren't just that like, you don't have to worry about business functions you don't care about, but that you are probably going to have a lot more default time to do things like deep work you're going to not have to deal with the fragmentation of thinking and consciousness that comes along with managing all the business functions. Like, all right, I have five hours where I do the main work and then worry about all the stuff on the business. It gets a lot easier to concentrate. And freelancing can be pretty lonely if you're just going from gig to gig or whatever. You don't have the water cooler. You don't have coworkers unless you kind of seek that out, out of band. So it can be, you know, very lone wolfy. And sometimes that's rough. It's, you know, you just want to go out for burgers at lunch with the colleagues. So those are some things that I, I can remember thinking over the years, like, man, you know, it wasn't so bad being an employee. What about you? Do you have? Uh... Yeah, well, I mean, so we have we have this mutual friend who recently went back to full time employment. And I'm in touch with him on a really regular basis. And he continues to say to me, I can't believe that, like, I need to learn something at work. They said, okay, order whatever books you need, take the week, go, go learn it. And he's like, and they're still paying me my paycheck. And when I have to learn something <laughs> from my work, it's like, okay, well, I guess I'll squeeze it in the day here and it's lost income, but it's in investment in myself, right? The, the company that he's working for is investing in him and is thus investing in themselves, but it's coming from someone else. It's not coming from, it's not coming from his paycheck. It's not coming from his income. On the contrary, they're paying him to learn these new things because they figure it'll be advantageous to the company. And so that sort of, I mean, look, I guess I earn my living going into doing courses because companies want to invest in their employees and help them to do better. So you have someone watching out for you. You have someone who's going to pay you on a regular basis unless you really mess up or unless they have problems. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, I would say, a much more relaxed sort of lifestyle. You're not always on edge of, did the client pay and did the money come in and what do I have to deal with, as you said, the IRS and taxes and so forth. There's just sort of a lot more stuff you have to be thinking about on a regular basis if you're on your own. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems like every so often I'm like, huh, that seems like a pretty cushy deal. That, that said, I would probably be at this point a terrible, terrible employee. As I discovered <laughs> when I was in like graduate school and like I would constantly clash with my advisor because he sort of assumed he like he was in charge of my life. And from my perspective, okay, he was in charge of my school life, but like I had lots of other stuff going on, family, work. Well, he wasn't supposed to know about the work. And you know, having to ask him for vacation time, I, I cried. I cried when I, he said no. Like no one had said no to me for vacation time in 15 years at that point. And here he was saying, no, like, like too bad. 
And so, so yeah, I can't imagine having to actually talk about that with, with uh, someone at a company. That reminds me of, I think it's Jonathan Stark says, like, I'm an outdoor cat. I, uh, I don't do work for oh, other people. Good. It would be an adjustment, certainly, to ask somebody for PTO or, you know, I can think of a lot of things. But, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're kind of looking at this. You know, there are certainly advantages to being an employee and to, like, talk through those advantages and sort of the stressors of the the independent life. I mean, like, one for me is this hasn't been as much recently, like as, as my business has grown and stabilized and there's, you know, employees and whatnot now. But a, a common thing that I always felt was this vacillation between supreme overconfidence and like being convinced that I was going to go out of business at any moment. And like in the span of an hour, like I'd get some good news and be like, all right, I'm going to retire when I'm 45 and I'm going to be wealthy and it's going to be great. And then something would happen and I'd be like, I'm such an imposter. I've been doing this for four years, but I'm still going to go bankrupt. Like the, the kind of highs and lows to managing your own situation. I mean, not that that doesn't come up at work, but I don't remember anything like that when I was salaried. So it can be kind of a white knuckle ride through ups and downs. And, you know, that can be pretty exhausting in in my experience. The feeling of losing a whale client or the feeling of like, where's the next client going to come from? Like, that can be rough. That's right. That's right. Yeah, for for sure. For for sure. But um, I I mean, it's, it's just, if you feel like, huh, things aren't working out for me in terms of freelancing, or I don't think they're they're working out. So A, like as we've said, it's okay to say it's not working out. But you also probably want to do some evaluation of it. You know, is freelancing not working out? Is your particular approach to things not working out, right? So very, you know, we talk about product market fit all the time in terms of products out there. But you might have a bad product market fit for your consulting. Maybe you're offering a service that just doesn't have enough of a market that before you sort of throw in the towel, it's worth checking. Well, maybe if I slightly changed how I describe my services, maybe if I change what services I offer. I just spoke to someone a few days ago. I do coaching for, for trainers. I spoke to someone and I said to him, look, I think you want to change how you're offering your training services because it sounds like you're doing so many things for so many people. Choose one thing, right? Stuff we talk about all the time on the show. Yeah. Choose one thing, specialize in that, offer some clear courses, talk to people. And I think that might you know, make things, it won't be worse, but it'll definitely, it, it, it can certainly be better. So it doesn't, have, and it doesn't even have to be like all or nothing. You can say, you know what, maybe I'll get a, can try to get a part-time job, right? There's no shame in getting a part-time job, assuming you can find one and then trying the consulting still. But I would say you definitely want to, you have to evaluate your consulting as a business, right? What am I doing wrong? And if there's a better business for you to be in, being a full-time employee, fantastic. But you know, it doesn't have to be, oh, no, it's not succeeding. I'm shutting it down right away. Oh, it'll take some time to think about it. I think that's a great thing to point out. And piggybacking on that a little, I think this will help inform what I'm about to say. I might suggest that for the purposes of your analysis, if you're freelancing and saying, I think, I think it might be time to throw in the towel. I'm not sure what should I do. You could treat, and, I, and we know somebody who I've talked to about this at times in the past, he, like he uh, has looked at things through this lens. If you think of salaried employment as a very specific instance of the object of consulting, so <laughs> salaried employment is having a single client that you're very committed to for an indefinite period of time. 
Um, I love that. You could like (laughs) kind of look at it and say, well, this is one option. I could have a single client for the next three years. I'll have to go and do the sales process, which becomes your interviewing and then you're good. And then maybe look at some other options that you might have. So one would be, am I selling to the right kind of business? So I'm doing these gigs. It does, it's not going well. Should I try working with a different kind of buyer, a different kind of client in a different industry? Could you try niching down and getting more specialized? Could you try focusing your offering? So I think maybe what I would suggest, broadly speaking, is rather than say in a binary fashion, like uh, I'm just not cut out to be a freelancer, is more like, okay, I can recognize that something about this isn't working for me. I'm too stressed out or whatever the case may be. Now let me lay out a series of options of things that I might try and then I'll kind of rank those and, you know, chart a course to, to see if one of these things is going to work. So like um, a different focus for who you're selling to, a different kind of offering, a different size of your book of business, you know, like maybe instead of trying to sell to one client every six months, you're trying to do something where you can service, you know, three or four clients at a time. So just kind of brainstorm a list of different things you can try and let one of those things be maybe the end of freelancing, or this is something that is just occurring to me in the moment, but maybe you do something like, I'm going to white label. So I don't, like, I hate sales. It's making me too stressed out. I'm going to approach a few agencies about subcontracting through them. And, you know, maybe that's what you do. So I think it's like helpful to pull back from saying like, I'm done. I'm going to go take a job. Sure. Maybe you do that. But like, you know, what are some things that you could try? Right. I have a friend actually, I just saw him a few weeks ago, who's been in business for himself for a while. and It wasn't going so well. And he's doing exactly what you just said, white labeling. He works with a few different agencies. He does marketing and um, an SEO. And so when the agency has a client who needs that sort of help, he's their top guy. And the client doesn't need to know, like the client's client, the agency's clients don't need to know that he's not working for them full time. So he gets the benefits of his freelancing and the security, you know, relative security of working with uh, you know full time. You know, I, I, I think I've come to this conclusion over the last few years in general about life. But, you know, we always think of these categories as being very hard and fast, you know, periods of time and, you know, let's take the you know, pandemic. So people being sick or not and almost nothing in the world is yes or no. And so it's not like freelancing or full-time employment. There's just this incredible variety of types of jobs you can have and arrangements that you can have. And if it's to everyone's mutual benefit, then great. You, know, you might find, in fact, a full-time employer, uh, you know, employer who simply wants to have a consulting relationship with you for everyone's mutual benefit, in which case it, it might be the best of both worlds from your perspective. All right. That, I like that serial monogamy comment you had earlier. That's a great, great way to describe it. Um, yeah, I was um, over the years have been pretty like opportunistic about things that might come up. So um, especially when I was doing management consulting, I didn't go this route, but it wasn't unusual for me to be literally offered a full time job or at least, you know, a full time job with some kind of caveats like I can remember helping a, a government agency um, define a software org chart and like the program CIO there saying to me, like, do you, you know, do you want to like come and run this department? And my answer to that being no, <laughs> but like, you know, there, there could be a world where I had said yes to that. And I think that a couple of things about that are interesting. Number one, I don't think anybody would have regarded that as some kind of defeat. 
like I was going about my consulting, I got offered a leadership position, I took it. And hey, you know, this is something to do for a while. But had I accepted that, I think I probably would have said, not that I necessarily want to do this forever, but okay, maybe I'll take on a W-2 for US-based folks. That means like salaried, a salaried arrangement, but probably only for a while. Like, why don't we talk about this in a year? I'll spend the next year helping you set up your... Um, your department, getting everything organized, building out the org chart, doing the hiring. And then maybe a year in, we have a frank conversation of like, do I want to keep going? So I'm mentioning that because you as a freelancer, maybe frayed with freelancing or whatever, could consider roles that, you know, don't happen through like the natural job search. Like maybe you have former contacts that would employ you in some way, albeit not the one you'd have drawn up for yourself, but also that you could structure salaried employment like a gig, Mm -hmm. especially at the executive level. I think you see this a lot in Silicon Valley, for instance. You might say like, look, I'm the person to help you get from seed round to A round, you know, in this particular role. After that, I want to be done. So employment doesn't always mean permanent employment. You could essentially like think about a gig for yourself, if you will, that just happens to be accompanied by employment paperwork. Yeah, when I graduated from college, my first job was with HP, HP Medical, which no longer exists. Like they spun it off and then that was spun off again. And they hesitated to hire me. And someone told me, well, it's because if we offer you a job, we're assuming it's going to be a job for life. Like we're basically offering that. And so we need to think long and hard about who we want to be here for the next 30 years. And no company no company will say that nowadays. Like it just does not <laughs> exist. The assumption is that you're going to be somewhere for a few years, then you're going to go elsewhere and you're going to go elsewhere. And so, right, how different is that from freelancing? Well, it's because you're doing one specific job and not trying to do everything. That's true. But uh, Mike Julian, who we, we both know, I, I've seen him say a few times now, okay, you're taking a new job. How will this new job help you achieve your next job? How, how will it like prepare you to get your next better job? And so if your way to get a better job, not now, but like one or two steps down the road is take full-time employment, go for it. Or if it's to find some sort of creative arrangement, go for it. Like you're always trying to improve yourself and see your job choice and your employment choice as a strategic choice that's moving you closer to your, your goal, whatever that might be. It's interesting, like piggybacking on what Mike's saying there is like, you could even make it a job, an interim step towards like some kind of freelance consulting practice. Meaning if you're freelancing and you're kind of not sure what you're doing, you get some kind of job offer. Like, you know, just to talk about the example that I, that I had that struck me is somebody saying kind of an ad hoc fashion, like I would pay you to run this group of engineers in this department. I could have said, all right, I'll do that with the idea that in the future, maybe I have a practice helping government agencies set up new um, departments or whatever the Mm -hmm. case may be, that like there might be a future consulting practice. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to document it. Maybe while I'm employed here, I'll write a book about it or something. And then I'll start trying to make connections for a future practice. So I think, I mean, that's a little exotic in terms of how you might structure things, but I think it's all important for anyone listening. If you're kind of like taking in this episode thinking like, yeah, I think I'm failing as a freelancer and it's time to like, you know, hang it up. Don't think of it that way at all. Think what I'm currently doing isn't working. What works for me might be to take a job. It might be to take on some kind of different freelancing practice, you know, whatever it may be. 
But think less in terms of pass-fail, think less in terms that are kind of absolute like that, and more like, all right, how might I vary my circumstances towards something that helps me better achieve what I'm trying to do? You know, it's it's also important to point out that everyone, everyone, well, not everyone, like virtually everyone, has numerous failures along the way, right? So, like, there were, I can think of at least twice, maybe three times that in my consulting career, like, it's very nice to say, oh, yes, I've been in business since 1995, which is not wrong, but there were several very, very, very bumpy roads, you know, bumpy periods along there when I was sure this is it, I'm failing, as you said, like I'm going out of business, this is never going to (laughs) happen, right? I've got to talk to the bank and like pay back debts and on, on and on. And Nathan Barry, who uh, started ConvertKit, he had something I'm looking for now, put in the show notes, but a, um, a Twitter thread listing all of his failures until he got to ConvertKit. And it was, (laughs) astonishing to see the variety of things that he tried and he's like a creative and a persistent and a smart guy and it was the persistence and the creativity applied persistently that got him to where he is today so it's okay like if things aren't working again try lots of different things you know it's okay to get full-time employment but the mere fact that oh my freelancing isn't working out that's not unique that happens to everyone and think of all the businesses that sort of you know mess up along the way I also think it's probably worth like going through, you know, what are signs that you might recognize in what's going on in your situation to be aware of, because I think that there are legitimate signs that indicate it's probably time to consider a different course. And then others that maybe are a little more, I don't know, vanity based or like the wrong thing to be measuring. So I think that there's a tendency, especially to, to throw out an example of what I'm talking about is maybe a false sign. A lot of people that come to freelancing in the engineering space, for instance, we as engineers in the STEM fields are, I think, often looking for more objective kind of metrics. So in software engineering, it might be like, how many stack overflow points do I have or something? Mm. And if you start applying that to freelancing, it might be like, oh, well, Bill over here is charging 120 an hour and I can only get 100 an hour and I'm failing. Like, I think there's a lot of things that you might be looking at other people doing and saying, I'm failing because I don't have this amount of revenue or I'm failing because I've never taken on a subcontractor or whatever there are things to look out for like that that probably don't mean anything. And then there are things that I think are are consequential that, you know, are warning signs for you. So, Reuven, what do you think are some of the consequential ones, like warning signs to actually be aware of? So, look, there's the, there's the financial side, right? That's the most obvious one, right? Mm-hmm. If you are not managing to pay the bills, if, you're in, if your debt is growing, that's a bad sign, right? I've heard many people say in the past, you know, if a business is not making money, if it's not profitable, then it's a hobby. And that's like, you know, sounds cute, but it's also true. Like your business should be bringing in more money than you're putting into it. And it's mm-hmm. okay to have some initial expenses. It's okay to need some runway the first few months. But like, if it's been going on, I actually know someone who's like this for years, for years, he even says like, yeah, I don't really make that much for my business. Or I have to put money into my business. I'm thinking to myself, where, where's he getting money from? I mean, I, I don't, I honestly don't know. But um, so, like, only you can know how much runway you have, how much you're willing to deal with, how much, like, you know, your spouse is willing to deal with. But like that, that's like, I think, the the, the clearest, most objectively sort of measurable thing. Well, what about you? You got some uh, some thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, if you're if you're burning through your runway, yeah, that's pretty clear. I, I think there's that. There's probably 
some metrics to be had around, you know, if you're working as a freelance photographer, a freelance software engineer, and you're delivering some kind of deliverable and you're consistently getting feedback that it's substandard or it's not working or something. So there could be an element of even if you're able to continue landing customers, the ones you have aren't happy somehow. And that's probably, it's not necessarily a sign that you need to like get out of being in business for yourself, but something's off there. If you are consistently getting negative feedback, if what you're delivering consistently doesn't work, something like that. So I think that's a big sign. I think in terms of introspection, there's the burnout, like the misery index. So Mm -hmm. don't ignore the idea that maybe when you get up in the morning and you wander over to your computer, I mean, assuming right now these days you're working remotely, is do you absolutely hate the prospect of doing that? Do you cringe at the thought of taking calls with your clients? is Monday morning the worst time of the week? You know, so things like that, I think, and they can bleed, at least they have historically for me into like personal life too. Like, do you find yourself being a different person maybe that you don't like? So not only am I miserable, but like I'm snapping at my family. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of saying this hypothetically, like not that I'm actually doing this, but um, do you find I, yourself? I've, I've done it. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I've definitely done it. Oh, I have at times too. I don't like right now that isn't the case. But, like, um, you know, I, I think the best, yeah, the best way I could summarize it would be like, do you suddenly find that you're a person you don't care for or you're like, this isn't who I am? Because that can be a strong sign that something's off. Those are some of my warning signs. I saw a note in here you had family or, or personal pressure. Yeah, look, I mean, I've been married now, what, 22 years or so. We have three kids. And there was definitely a long period of time when it was, you know, not even said half jokingly that I'm just always working, always, always, always working. Like during the day I'm working and in the evening I'm working. So I, I would, I would get up before everyone. I would go to sleep after everyone because that's what I had to do. And it really definitely took a toll on the family and, you know, their perception of what I, you know, what I could do, should do. And I was, I don't know if I was personally burning out, but you know, they were getting a little, um, or even not a little or impatient with this, like, mm-hmm. you know, my wife would sometimes say, I never see you. Like, like, what's going on? It can't always be what's profitable, what's the business. And it took a while for me to sort of be able to step back and say, okay, you know what? Making money is not the only thing I need to worry about. I know it sounds very like obvious to say it, but you know, I was always scared. I was always in this sense of, oh, well, maybe if I if I don't put my all into the business, then it's gonna collapse. And so you need to be able to balance these things. And if your family, if, if there's no obvious solution to this and you're putting in crazy hours and your family is suffering, you should rethink that. Like you have to figure out what your priorities are. I think there's probably various flavors too of family expressing discontent. Like you talking about that. So the business is succeeding, but with a lot of input from you. So you're not around maybe as much as you could be. That prompted me to remember a story I heard. Somebody was, I'm trying to remember where I ran across this person, but she was talking about having a husband that was a serial entrepreneur and not in a way that sounded affectionate. It was basically like, this is exhausting. I'm constantly trying to support him. He has four different businesses going. None of them are ever really succeeding. And this is our life. And it's, you know, stressful. Like we don't always know that we're going to be able to pay the bills. And listening to her, it almost sounded like the husband had a form of addiction as in, you know, like this wasn't too far off the way you might hear somebody talk about having a significant other that was a gambler. That was, I, you know, I was just like, going to say, it sounds like gambling. That's right. 
And so I think that wow. probably you wouldn't think of yourself this way, like especially if you're not going to the casino, you're you know betting on yourself in business. And it's easy to think that success maybe is just around the corner. Or I just have to do a little more of this, that, or the other. And actually, in terms of the episode, this is probably not the person in the moment that would be saying, am I failing? Um, but if you're getting the feedback from your family that's either, hey, we never see you, or hey, this is really stressful, you know, it would be less stressful as if you went and got a job, that that feedback in your personal life is pretty real. I'll, I'll add, by the way, like on occasion, I would talk to my family, talk, especially talk to my wife about this, and I'd say, well, let's say I would get a job in Tel Aviv, you know, back when people would actually commute. I'd be like, well, I'd probably be commuting, say, call an hour, hour and a half in each direction. So... I'm roughly working that same number of hours. I'm just at home much of the time. And there was some truth to that, but it was also kind of frustrating that like, even again, late into the night, you know, we want to watch TV. My wife want to watch TV, watch a movie. I'd be like, Oh, but I've got this big deadline for a client. And you know, every so often to have that is okay, but always to have that not so okay. Yes. I, th- I mean, I think it's good to hear like we've covered some external signs, you know, mm-hmm. friends and family or whatever, Science about how you feel. I mean, I think all of those are legit versus, uh, and then obviously the financial ones versus like, you know, this other person seems to be succeeding a lot more than me or something. Those are not things I'd probably worry about as much. For sure. Um, for sure. And, and do you again, have a framework like, in oh, mind sorry, for like, you know, let's say you're sizing these things up. Do you, you know, have any thoughts on decision making around like, okay, I'm getting this feedback. Okay, we're running out of money. Like how to actually pull the trigger, what to do next. Any specific thoughts there? I, I think at the end of the day, it's going to be very squishy, right? Which, which again, for engineers is not like a comfortable place to be. We want to be able to say, yes, yes, all is good. Or, you know, things are bad, shut it down. But it's always going to feel uncomfortable no matter what. So maybe like do some hard, like collect some hard data. How much money do you have in the bank now? How much have you been getting on average per month over the last six months? And is that likely to continue over the next six months to a year? Is that sufficient? Okay, if not, then the current way the business is running can't continue. Like it just objectively can't. So what are you going to do? Like, and, and how much money you have in the bank and how quickly you're depleting that, assuming you're not making money, will also inform your decision. Are you in such dire straits that you need to get a, a full-time job, right? Again, nothing to be embarrassed about, but better to face up to that reality than just sort of ignore and ignore it? Or do you have, let's call it a year worth of runway that you're willing to invest in? And then, okay, so like, um, I'll, I'll try, I'll try three different things. I'll try more marketing. I'll try niching down. And if that doesn't work, then fine, you know, six months from now and, and putting a date on it is also important. I ran this newsletter for a while for people learning Chinese. I was like, oh, well, I learned Chinese and lots of people learn Chinese and people are making money from newsletters. I'll put together a newsletter and then I'll make lots of money from it. And it mm. took a friend of mine to say, this is, this is like, this is a money loser for you. You're spending time on this. You might have lots of subscribers, but they're not paying anything. When you, and, and so he said, he said, put a date on it. And if you don't achieve a certain concrete goal by that date, shut it down. And I set the goal. And I did not reach it and I shut it down. And it was a huge relief to me. And I didn't expect mm. that. I really, really didn't. I think that's great advice. I also, by the way, I think I remember when, when you had that mailing list. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love the advice there because I was thinking of the same thing for, say, the situation where a family is saying you're not spending enough time mm. with us, that you might even with something that I'll call, quote, softer, be able to set parameters like that, which is, you know, I'm just imagining if my wife said to me, you're really working late every night, you're not spending any time with us. 
I might say like, look, whatever, there will be, you know, hiccups where there's more work, but generally speaking, if this is going to work, if being in business for myself is going to work, it's not unreasonable for me to have dinner with, you know, my family each night. If I can't make that happen on the average night, like, you know, I, there has to be something where at five o'clock or whatever it is, I call it for the day and I go about my life. And if in six months I can't get to the point where that's possible and I can sustain my business, hey, I don't have a sustainable business unless I really, you know, want to be a workaholic for the rest of my life. So give yourself some time to get to the good state. And then if you're not there, I think setting that framework rather than trying to evaluate in the moment is pretty helpful because it's it's a very emotional decision to say, like, I'm going to do something completely different. I'm going to give up. I'm going to stop having this mailing list. If you give yourself some runway to make that decision, like, look, I'm going to try X, and if it doesn't work in four months, then I'm going to call it. I think that gives you time to almost like grieve, if you will, or to, Mm. I don't know, feel like you haven't been hasty in your decision making about it. Right, right. Definitely. I think it was much easier for me to shut down the mailing list after thinking about it, like seeing, like I, I had these new eyes that I was using to look at it. And every week I'd say, huh, still getting new subscribers, still not getting any paid subscriptions. What do you know? And so when the time came to kill it, I, I was already at peace with that. Like, and as mm-hmm. I said, it was even a relief. It wasn't a, oh my God, I've, you know, the sunk cost fallacy and all that other stuff that, that, oh no, I'll just put some more time into it. It'll be great. I can relate. I've, um, I mean, it's not the same as giving up a business per se, but I mean, these are small, like over the years, uh, I had my site deadtech.com and I blog regularly forever. Now I post something there once every few months. There was a point where I had stopped trying to like pretend that I was putting content up there regularly. And in saying like, look, I'm I'm just going to do this and be okay with it. It's a pretty big relief. And I mean, I think even on the complete other end of the spectrum, I've heard tell of people that were in salaried jobs and they knew they were failing like it wasn't going well, that actually that someone having the conversation about letting them go proved to be a relief rather than wow. destroying them. Because if you feel it and it's not working, that moment of saying like, look, I don't know what the future holds, but it's not this can be like a powerful relief. Right, right, absolutely. So if we're thinking about, you know, like let's say somebody is going to, you know, hang it up, be in business, be having been in business for themselves, like work through all these frameworks, time to go out and get a job. I think one of the things we have here to cover is what should you longtime freelancers, self-employed people be aware of, you know, before re-entering that world or maybe entering it for the first time if you've always been a freelancer or entrepreneur. So what do you think there? What is a maybe culture shock about going back to the salaried world? So before you even rejoin the salary world, the thing that's been shocking to me from speaking to a few people, one friend in particular, but several people, is job interviews. That I was under the impression, so right, so we're recording this in early 2022, and tech companies are growing really fast, and they're desperate for people. We know they are desperate for people, and they're paying huge salaries. And despite the desperation, they are taking their time. They're taking their time with interviewing. They're putting people through lots of rounds of phone calls and lots of rounds of asking very particular specific questions about, do you know about this software package or that software package and prove your abilities with it? And so I'm pretty sure based on the people that I spoke to that I would have a really rough time passing one of these interviews. Like 
I would have to really study for it. And so if you, like us, have been sort of the, I don't know, top of your game or even medium of your game, as it were, <laughs> as a consultant for a few years, it's going to be a big ego bruising to your ego and also just like what i have to study to interview for a company yeah 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 almost certainly and you will get rejected numerous times even if you're great because like they don't think so and companies are fallible so so get ready for that um I mean, both of us uh, sort of talked to Google at some point a number of years ago. We were talking before we started recording. And I remember just being shocked. Like, people are asking me questions about this. Really? And it was more practical than the stuff you described with, with uh, like, algorithms. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so that's, that's, like, thing number one. But then there's, like, well, I mean, there's the bureaucracy, right? <laughs> that people would have to get used to. That you're no longer in charge of everything yourself. I'm trying to think of um, what in particular, like I have some perspective on this now because <clears throat> as hit subscribe grows its payroll, I'm increasingly presiding over, you know, things like our, our health insurance that we're getting and so on and so forth. So like I'm getting reintroduced to some of this stuff, albeit in a different way. Um, there is the, the time constraints, I guess, like if, if you're a completely solo operator, the only thing at risk if you decide to take a month off is maybe your wallet, if you will, but you can just do that versus, you know, I mean, I'm not like requesting time off of anybody, but like there's obligations and people have expectations of you. But if you go back as a full-time employee, you're going to have to request paid time off. You're going to have to get used to Generally speaking, you know, I've I've often joked, kind of kidding, but not really, that the corporation takes on this role as like a third parent. If you're going into the office, they're telling you what you're allowed to wear. You have to ask permission not to come into the office. Like there's a lot of, you know, sort of, I guess, parental-ish things going on. So you have to get used to, you know, getting this kind of clearance. And like, I mean, that's subtle, but like it's, I mean, I imagine a lot of you listening haven't been told what to wear in a while you know, so things like that. Uh, one big one for me that has struck me about the difference between being an employee versus being in business for yourself is the upside of your finances or what you do, the results you get for clients are essentially unbounded. So there's no upper bound on the amount of revenue that um, my business can earn. There's no upper bound on the amount of profit. There's no upper bound on really much of anything that we're doing other than what we're able to do. Versus you go and you get a salary job and they tell you, you know, we're going to pay you $100,000 a year. And then that's the end of the matter until, I don't know, <laughs> next year at PTO increase time. And so no matter how well you do, you're not getting any more pay, you know. So I think that metering of what you can achieve in your role is another big one. Right. I'm also just thinking about like decision making. So last summer, it was clear that I needed a new computer. So I looked at you know the possibilities. I checked around with some friends and colleagues to see what they thought. I said, okay, I can afford it. And I bought a new computer and I can install whatever I want on it. And I go into companies and I say, okay, so you need to install Python. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like, not so fast. We need to get permission from the IT department to install this like funny free software on it. I mean, it's not quite that extreme anymore, but like definitely when I say, oh, go install such and such, they need to get permission sometimes. They need to download it from acceptable sources and servers. And yeah, it's not not always so straightforward and easy. Oh man, that's the truth. And I think like depending on the nature of the job you get now that I think about it, when I was doing management consulting, a lot of that was in the enterprise. So I'd mentioned, you know, the um, the government agency, but a lot of banks, manufacturing companies, Fortune 500s, and the net nannies and the things 
like people had to jump through to get like basic software going and installed. I do think that there's potentially some culture shock. So if you've been out there like building WordPress sites for small business, and then you go to work at Fortune 500 Inc., there's going to be some pretty serious culture shock. So, I mean, we touched on the bureaucracy a little, but like, it won't just be that you have to attend the sexual harassment seminar or whatever. There's also you know, serious inhibitions to the tools of the trade you use to do your job. I think that would be a big one. So, I mean, we had talked, I guess, about the benefits and there are certainly benefits, but yeah, there's definitely downsides. I think, I don't know if like we could round out or close out with any thoughts you might have on how you can kind of pre-acclimate yourself to that. Or this is, you know, obviously for both of us, it's not something that we have direct experience with recently because we haven't done this, but I'm just kind of wondering if you have thoughts of how to like make peace with that kind of thing. Look, I, I've seen a few people over the last few years go from consulting and freelancing to full-time employment, and they're happy. They're happy, and in fact, they're happier and more relaxed. And many times, they're able to spend time with friends and family and on hobbies that they could not do before mm-hmm. because they're spending all their time worrying about work and stressing about it. So as much as I always thought that freelancing is not for everyone, I'm now even more convinced it's not for everyone. It's just like, and it's okay to say it's not for you. That said, if you're on the fence, try to think about how are you going to make this decision? How are you going to like, what what parameters are you going to go through? Don't just make a rash decision one way or the other and realize that making that transition to full-time is going to take time anyway, even under the best of circumstances. So maybe you can try to take advantage of that, right? There's no rule that says you can't interview at one place a week for six months, right? right? Like, you know, Put that into your calendar and then uh, see what happens from there. And you might get uh, some good ideas even. Hey, you might even discover that there's a certain service that companies are all missing that you can offer to them, right? (laughs) So what occurred to me is I would personally suggest, and everybody's mileage may vary, but select for companies that don't put any constraints on what you do in your free time. So meaning you can go interview at companies that say, we're going to have you sign this kind of draconian non-compete agreement. Everything you do on company time or off company time, we own, you can't do anything. Steer clear of that. I'd say go interview at companies that don't object in principle to you having your own business, own practice, own website, and then keep all your stuff up, you know, keep your freelancing marketing website up, keep your business active, you know, pay your filing fees. And that way... You have some optionality. So look at the job you're going to take almost as if it were a gig. And I think that can make it a little more palatable to dip your toe back in the water, knowing that like, it's not that I'm closing the book on this chapter and I can never go back. I'm trying something. I'm going to see if it works. Maybe I'll be quite happy, but you've still got the website up. You can still take phone calls and leads. Like you always have the option to pull back out, try again with your practice, worst case. So I think there's probably some psychological advantage to kind of keeping your options open and not feeling like you're committing to the net nanny and the PTO and all that like forever. It's just something that you're going to try in the, you know, near-term future. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with all that in mind, any uh, picks for this week? I don't know that I have anything offhand. I can remember um, a podcast episode once. It was like for the Tropical MBA where they talked about – I guess, hanging up your spurs, but I can't remember which one. Um, so I guess I could say that that podcast in general, the Tropical MBA is a good one to listen to for um, anybody who might be interested because they do. It's a podcast that's more for like entrepreneurs 
but productized service businesses, it would probably have really good overlap with the set of freelancers. So yeah, the Tropical MBA, that's a good podcast to listen to if you're in the market for others. I'll also throw a pick to the hit subscribe community that we have for freelancers and freelance curious folks. It is a free community that we've been running for the last six months or so where people talk about this type of thing. So I'll throw that in there as well. Excellent. I'm going to, um, I've become a huge fan, and I'm not alone in this, of uh, Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway and their Pivot podcast. I think they have, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of like, first of all, it's just incredibly funny, but a lot of very, very insightful thoughts about technology and business. And they just held a conference uh, in Miami, so they call it Pivot MIA. Miami, so they call it Pivot MIA. And just this morning as I was walking, they did, uh, I heard an interview from that conference with Brian Chesky, who's the CEO of Airbnb. I have to say, I was blown away. I never heard him speak before, and he's very smart and very thoughtful and talked a lot about what it's like to run a business, what it's like to run a growing business. And in, in perhaps one of the most and surprising parts of the interview, he talked about how lonely it is. He talked about how he's working really hard and he had really hoped to get married, really, really hoped to have kids at some point, have a family. At this point, he's just working, working, working. And... Um, uh, he said, many people who are very successful are also very lonely. And I remember hearing that and thinking, wow, like, I'm so fortunate, right? I'm really, really fortunate to have a business that's going okay and also to, like, have a family. And you can sort of, you know, it, it's always going to be a balance. But anyway, I, I thought it was a really revealing, interesting interview. I'm going to put that in the show notes uh, for you folks to listen to. I definitely encourage it whenever, whenever you're listening to this. Assuming Airbnb is still around, which I think it's safe to say they will be. <laughs> I hope they're around at least for another few weeks while we stay in this Airbnb. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, you talked all about like the, the legal stuff they're going through too, which is, uh, you know, fascinating and so forth. All right, folks. Well, this has been another fun, interesting episode. Please let us know, as always, what you think, what feedback you have, what new topics we should cover. We'll be back very soon with another episode of The Business of Freelancing.